Yeah. Ian Begley, SNY, my man, how you doing? Randy, what's up, bro? How are you? Doing good, man. Can't complain. Uh, the NBA's back from All-Star Weekend. Um, I really want to know, how was your All-Star Weekend, man? We talk about the players having uh, vacation, time off. I know you work very hard covering the Knicks year in, year out. How did you spend All-Star Weekend, man? Oh, it was nice, man. I didn't go to Chicago, so I spent some quiet days with the family, my wife, kids. Uh, went to visit my parents, my nice. sister. Really nice, man. Really nice. How about you? Um, I spent it in cold New York. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Probably better than Chicago, though, from what I heard. Yeah, hopefully uh, me and you can uh, make it up to um, Indiana next year for All-Star 2021, you know? No, I'm good, man. I'll, I'll be happy to stay home for that one. But you go ahead. You have fun. Right. <laughs> I'm going to try. Um, Ian Begley, SNY. He's on Twitter at Ian Begley. You uh, you guys uh, know him as Ian. I call him the GOAT. Um, the guy goes um, extremely hard working for SNY, covering the New York Knicks. You know, my favorite team, but they haven't been really good for quite some time. So let's get right to it, Ian. Um, can you kind of compare the expectations that were on the Knicks prior to the season compared to where they are now. So goat is my nickname for you, so I appreciate you throwing <laughs> that on me, bro. Thank you. No uh, problem. Thank you. So I think, you know, <clears throat> realistically, I think people had these guys winning, you know, maybe 30 games, mm. a little more, a little less. Um, and I think <clears throat> they probably would end up with less than that. I think even those modest expectations, they won't hit. And, you know, there there were people in the organization who felt that if things broke right, the Knicks were a playoff team. And those expectations were voiced to the players before the season. Um, you know, some people say that they were just setting the bar high, but, you know, players did take those expectations um, mm. as reality. And so... The expectation from internally was playoffs before the year. So by that measure, they fell very short. And by the, you know, 30, 30-plus 30 game measure, they are probably going to fall shy of that. So, uh, yeah, disappointing from, from really any realistic expectation. So David Fisdale got on board last year. Then, then they won 17 games. They missed out on the, the first overall pick. He comes back this year, and he got let go pretty early in the year. Why didn't it work for David Fisdale here in New York? I think part of it was injuries because he didn't have Alfred Payton for most of that 22-game stretch. He didn't have Reggie Bullock. Mm. He also, you know, he was trying to figure out best lineups, best rotations in season. I think some of the players struggled with that. I think the ball was sticking on offense a lot. They were trying to figure out the best role for Julius Randle, the coaching staff, and everybody was trying to figure out the best role for Randle. I think guys were a little tight, too, because of those mm. preseason expectations uh, that were, were stated as you know playoff expectations coming into the year. So uh, multiple factors there of, of why they, they did not play well under Fisdale, and Fisdale ultimately was let go uh, sitting at 4-18. and 18. Um, Is there a scenario uh, where Mike Miller – is to coach next season like what does he have to do to keep his job and if he doesn't who's uh the realistic um people out there 
that could become the, the the new head coach for the Knicks next season? Yeah, I don't see a scenario, and, and probably it's unfair to Mike because he's done a good job, but I don't yeah. have a hard time seeing a scenario where he is the head coach next season because whenever somebody comes in as a new team president, GM, top basketball decision maker in an organization, they're going to want their own guys uh, yeah. in, in the seat, in the, in the head coaching seat. That's just how it works. So, you know, barring something crazy where the Knicks go on a crazy run and they make the playoffs, I, I, I have a hard time seeing uh, Mike Miller having the job for next year. And that being said, there are people in the organization who would like to see him, Mike a part of the Knicks next year, regardless mm-hmm. of what happens with the coaching search, whether it's as an assistant coach, front office role, something. They want to see him here because they really respect the job he's done. Now, assuming he's not here, I mean, you look at Leon Rose and, and you look at the ties that he has to coaches, you know, so that's where you go when you talk about potential next next coaches. And, you know, he has ties to John Calipari. He has ties to Tom Thibodeau. He has ties to Jeff Van Gundy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got a relationship with Mike Woodson and knows Mark Jackson. But, you know, so those are the guys that you think about. But Leon Rose has been in the league working as a top player agent forever. Um, and because of that, he's got relationships with many college coaches, many NBA coaches that are not among that group that we just talked about. So, you know, I, I, I think that to, to, to limit it to those, those guys that we discussed, I don't think, um, is, is accurate. I would assume that Leon is going to, going to have a wide swath of people that he considers and, and talks to and, and thinks about as, ne- as his next head coach before we get to the finish line. So in your opinion, you watch every game, you cover every game, um, and I respect your opinion. So in your mind, who has, from a player standpoint, who has uh, uh, progressed, who has uh, remained stagnant, and who has kind of regressed on the Knicks? So I think, you know, to start with that question, Kevin Knox is the most interesting place to go for me because – it's obvious that he has not shot the ball well. Mm-hmm. He has not been the same offensive player this year that he was last year. I mean, that's, everybody can see that. And that's alarming because it, it, you want to see young players take steps forward early in their career. And that's, that's the sign of you know, strong player development from an organizational standpoint. And that's the sign of uh, you know, a player making, uh, you know, the, the progressions that you want them to see if you're a Nick fan. But I think that one thing with Knox that may may go unseen if you're just kind of not watching every game and kind of, you know, looking at the box score, looking at his field goal percentage, just and that, he has made strides on the defensive end. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, is so important because, you know, there's questions about his defensive ability. There were questions about his defensive ability coming into uh, the NBA last year. But he's got a frame where he's got the length to be able to be disruptive on the defensive end. And you've seen that more consistently from him this year. So I think that's a positive and that's something that again, kind of gets overlooked. So, you know, it depends on how you want to look at it. I think that it's hard to put a ceiling on any player that's 19, 20 years old in the league. Mm. Um, you, You know, ideally, 
the development happens linear and he makes progression and he's better offensively this year than he has been. I think then if you're a Nick fan, you feel better about it, but let's not ignore what he's done on defense. And then you know, let's go to a couple of the other guys, uh, Mitchell Robinson. I don't think you've seen a giant leap forward from him, but I think you've continued to see him be a player who is a magnet on offense and causes defenses to react on offense as a roller in the pick and roll game. And that's important for the Knicks because if you then can find a point guard that defenses are forced to come over the screen on in the pick and roll because that point guard's a good shooter, that opens things up even more for that offense. They don't have that right now because – with Alfred Payton, with Frank Milikina, with Dennis Smith Jr., teams aren't forced to go over the top on the screen. But if you do get that point guard that's a threat to knock down that perimeter shot every time, mm-hmm. that's going to that's gonna open up things for the Knicks. And, uh, you know, quickly with other other young guys from last year, Alonzo uh, Trier's been out of the rotation. Dennis Smith Jr. has not had a good year. And then, um, again, Frank Milikina. Been inconsistent on offense, has, has played well on defense, and hasn't, I don't think, taken the leap on the offensive end mm. in year three that uh, the Knicks would have wanted to see from him. So, in your opinion, how do you feel about R.J. Barrett? I know we've seen what Zion has done since coming back from the injury. We've seen what John Moran is doing in Memphis and having him in playoff contention. Um do you feel the Knicks fan base is satisfied with uh, with what they've been able to get from R.J. Barrett this season? You know, it depends on who you're talking to. <laughs> many Knicks fans out there, many different uh, opinions. But I think by and large, with Barrett, he's, I think, met or exceeded most expectations in mm-hmm. terms of what people thought he was going to be coming out of the Summer League. Uh, certainly a shooting percentage you'd like it to be better if you're the Knicks um, and then certainly you'd like the uh, jump shot to improve if you're the Knicks but he's giving you a lot from re- a rebounding perspective uh, a, a, a distribution perspective assists and defensively I think he's 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 had spurts where he's played well so for RJ a lot of the I think the context around him is kind of similar to what it was around the draft like if he can develop his outside shot, he becomes an incredibly effective player on the offensive end. If the outside shot uh, does not develop, he's a little more limited. Uh, but he does, he has impacted the game in other facets. I think you have to like just like that if you're the Knicks. And it's just a matter of what happens with the jump shot for RJ. But from a consistency standpoint, from uh, from the idea that he's very, he was very comfortable from day one mm-hmm. on the court, off the court in New York, which is more important than I think a lot of people realize. That is, uh, I think that's a plus for Barrett in the Knicks. So you mentioned Leon Rose earlier uh, within the last month. Uh, they got rid of uh, Steve Mills. Leon Rose, I, I don't think it's official yet, but he's uh, supposedly coming on board with the team, maybe the new president of the Knicks. Um, Scott Perry is still around. We don't know if he'll be the GM going forward. Uh, that remains to be seen. But what should Knicks fans make of this new regime going forward, and will it will it solve any problems that the Knicks have had uh, in recent, uh, recent years? You know what? Uh, as far as this regime, I think Leon Rose is – He's very competent, smart, savvy. 
uh, you don't get to where he got to as a player agent in this business without having those traits. He's well connected. Uh, he he has relationships with all the people he's going to need to be working with as next president. He has those relationships because of his work as a player agent. So that's a positive to me. What it comes down to for Rose is who you hiring underneath you in your front office as your general manager, your scouts, your director of scouting, and who you're hiring as your head coach and assistant coaches, player development staff. Mm -hmm. That to me is key because he does not have experience as an executive. So I think the best thing that he can do is to hire experienced people underneath him, mm -hmm. give them the leeway to do what they do, do it well, and then uh, push this thing forward. I think that's key for Leon is to hire great people underneath him, around him, who have the experience that he lacks and then you have a good team in place to, to get this thing turned around and going in the right direction. So hypothetically, Ian, if the Knicks wanted you to be the GM or president, will you quit your <laughs> job at SNY and do it? <laughs> <laughs> Usually what happens with the GM position is it's a three-year deal. Uh, so yeah, you, yeah. you make your money and then you get fired. So I still the get money paid was for good it. enough. I, I, I would uh, <laughs> I would do that calculus, and if it made sense, sure. Because but I would just know that I have a very short uh, shelf life there, based on mm. recent history. Right. Um, I mean, bottom line, Ian, does it really just come down to someone just making competent, smart, smart moves? Because we're in this era now that people can look to an agent like a Rob Palenka from the Lakers or a Bob Myers from the Warriors, and they can be they can be the GM or, or president or, or, or whatever. But there are people like Jerry West, who is not an agent, still uh, making crazy moves. There's people like Pat Riley, who is not an agent, but still is in the front office. Uh, regardless of who they hire, does, does it really just come down to somebody making smart, competent moves? Yes, smart moves. Don't sign. Don't get handcuffed by bad contracts, which is what we've seen happen with this club so often in the past. I mean, listen. Right now, I think, and this is yeah, you got to give Scott Perry credit for this, and and Steve Mills credit for this because since mm. Scott came on with Steve, <clears throat> they haven't signed any long term bad contracts. Right. I mean, Steve before Scott was here, obviously signed the Hardaway deal. And then the, the Ron Baker deal. But aside from those two, I mean, they haven't, uh, certainly with Perry here, they haven't signed bad contracts. They've kept all their draft picks. And so Leon Rose comes in here with uh, a lot to work with, a lot, um, a lot of draft capital and assets that any GM or president would love to have. So the resources are here. You think. Maybe there's a, a few young players that could be a part of a uh, a core of a winning team. So you have that in place, and it's not like you're taking over a situation where your cap space is is in a bad place and you have bit, like um, no draft picks. Like you have all that. So the mm. ingredients are there. So it's just about making the right decisions with those assets, and you know what that is, what that entails. Uh, time will tell. But I do know that. At the trade deadline, part of what the Knicks wanted to do, regardless of what happened at the deadline, was mm. hold on to enough assets to be able to put themselves in play 
for players like a disgruntled star who may have wanted out, may have demanded a trade, you know, this offseason, next year. They want to be in position to be in the conversation for that kind of a trade if that situation arises. Right. Uh, two more before I let you go because I know you got to run. Uh, going forward, two more months in the season. What do you expect from this team going forward until April? You know, it's funny. Like past Nick teams, you could tell when when it's when the season's over. Essentially, there's nothing to play for mm-hmm. at this point in the calendar. You see them kind of let go of the rope. You see them kind of quit a little bit. Uh, you've seen that in the past here and there. And then this ha- it hasn't happened yet though under Mike Miller. So uh, that to me is impressive. I would look to see if the efforts there night in night out both ends of the floor. And then. Also, I would just see how Mike delineates his minutes. Is he is there a time and place where he starts to play young guys over like a Reggie Bullock or o- over other veterans? Like does Alonzo Trier start to get more minutes? Does mm-hmm. Damian Dodson start to get more minutes over veterans? And that to me is something to keep an eye on because right. if you're out of the playoff race, let the kids play. I think that makes sense, but not all people uh in the league and certain not all people with the Knicks agree with that philosophy. So that's something to keep an eye on. And then obviously the play of RJ Barrett, the play of Mitchell Robinson and Kevin Knox and Frank Nelikina, how those players develop positively or negatively is something to keep an eye on with the Knicks. Um, well, you know, I think every year we, we always have the same conversation around this time where the Knicks are not making the playoffs. And so what are they going to do um, this summer in the draft? So from what I've been seeing that, with any trade possi- uh, possibility that Mitchell Robinson and R.J. Barrett are untouchable, P- pretty much anybody else can go. Um, but going into the summer, as far as the draft goes, is there you know what player, what player should they target? What players uh, should they draft? Like as far as a position, do you think that, that they should target uh, a point guard? Because to me, Ian, the Knicks have not, and you mentioned earlier, they have not had a real good, great, dominant, dynamic point guard um, to me since, since Marbury was here. And that's like maybe over a decade ago. So um, for the draft, do they target a, a point guard if they have a top two, top three pick? If not, what should they be looking at um, come June? You know, it really depends on where you land. And it's so hard to know now where they'll land yeah, because there's so much left up in the air. Mm-hmm. If the choice is theirs, though, I agree with you. You have to get a dynamic guard that can get, – you need a guard that can really shoot because that, you know, if you have R.J. Barron in your backcourt, you don't know what his shot is going to be, what it isn't going to be. But if you surround him with a guard, lead guard that can shoot, then that spaces the floor a little more. So to me, if you do go guard, that's the key. have to get a guy that can shoot. Um, and handle the ball. But with the draft, again, it depends on how these guys play over the next uh, couple weeks and how other teams play and then what happens at the lottery. But if the choice is theirs, I think that's that's the position where you have the most glaring need, and that's the position that's so important in today's league. So that position should be a priority if it's totally up to the Knicks about who they take and, and, and all that. And I think it, it, if it is a point guard, it basically it basically comes down to Lamelo Ball and Cole Anthony at this point. If they if they if they're still on the board, if they can pick one of those guys, I think they have to pick one of them. 
you know what? There's a there's a kid overseas, uh, very talented player uh, that I don't think we should sleep on. There's uh, we're looking the kid's name up right now because it's uh, skipping my mind, slipping my it's slipping my mind right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna look it up. I'm gonna tell you, hey, uh, Hayes is his last name. Okay. I can't believe I'm not remembering his name. Uh, anyway, but I think there's it is those two, but there are others. Mm. There are others that you got to keep an eye on. Um, so the problem is, again, it's it's where you end up. And it's also Leon Rose, like, he hasn't taken over yet. So, yeah. you know, once he takes over, uh, Killian Hayes is the guy's name that I was looking for. And then Tyrese uh, Halliburton is another player who I think is pretty good, um, at least from the, the scouts and the draft people that I've checked in with and the scouting people that write online that I've read. Um so there, there's depth that lead the lead guard spot uh, this year, it seems. So that'll be a good thing for the Knicks. But I think you do. it is LaMelo, but you also look beyond LaMelo and Cole because there is some depth there. Right. And um, last one, Ian, um, it, it just, you know, we're going over. I know I'll cover this more on retro um, down the road, but we're, we're about 20 years removed from uh, the Ewing trade. And I think ever since then, it's been really a big downfall for the organization with players, coaches, GMs, this this ongoing carousel of people coming in and leaving. Um, so the Knicks have not been really that relevant um, in the eyes of, of many young fans in the past two decades. But I, I've always said that um, that, the, that 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 you know that that the NBA is better when the Knicks are good and relevant. Um, some people may not even believe it because they see what they see now and be like, no, they're terrible, they suck, and whatever. But I really I really believe that the Knicks, once they're good, relevant, you know, competitive, not saying championship, you know, contention, but still be in the playoff race, um, the NBA is better. Uh, do you agree with that? Um, I mean, I can't. It's hard for me to comment on that because, you know, as a reporter, I try, I remain objective. So I don't really have a dog in the fight whether the Knicks are good or not. Um, but I think from a business perspective, from a league perspective, when you're trying to make money, bottom line perspective, it makes sense to have teams in big markets be good because uh, there are more eyeballs, more fans to watch games, uh, buy merchandise. Uh, and that's you know that's uh, of so much of great importance for the league. So I think for the league, yes, absolutely, it's important for the teams in big markets, LA, New York, Boston, Chicago, to be good. Um, so certainly from that perspective, it makes a lot of sense. Ian Begley, SNY, my man. Thank you, man. I, and uh, I appreciate it. Anytime, Randy. Always good to talk to you, bro. All right, man. Take it easy. You too. Take care. All right.